Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. I'm so excited. We've got an outstanding conversation teed up with our guest here today, Tanya Jackson, Senior Vice President, Chief Product Delivery Officer with Lexmark. Tanya, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing wonderful and doing even better now that I finally get a chance to meet you and we get to dive into your story. We're excited here. Great. Awesome. So, so on that note, uh, Tanya, I want to just level set. We've done a little bit of homework on you. Um, I want to level set on a couple of things, make sure I got this right. So for starters, for the three people maybe in the world that don't aren't familiar with Lexmark, leading, uh, leading global provider of printing and imaging products, software solutions and services, right? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Check, check one and make sure my homework's right. Secondly, you've been the company, get this, since its inception in 91. Is that right? That is correct, Scott. So that means I'm pretty old. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't good. I wasn't going to say that. All but good, though. Gosh, All I can, good. I can, <laughs> I can only imagine the stories. And I bet when y'all get together for uh, this gathering or the other gathering, I bet uh, folks want to be around rubbing elbows with you because you got all the best stories. Is that right? Is that fair? We have, we have good stories and there's been a lot of travel. The best stories come out of the travel, you know, mm. strange things happen, you know, when <laughs> well, we're going to try to get into some of those with you here today. Uh, also folks should know that from 2016 to 2020, you served as a chief supply chain officer. And then as if that wasn't a big enough plate, your role expanded in 2020 to include uh, even more. Is that right, Tanya? That's right, Scott. So what we did uh, in 2020 was really reshape a little bit of our strategy. And so in addition to, as you said, we focus on the core imaging, but we also wanted to um, move more toward expanding in our adjacency. So taking some of our core technology that we have in the imaging space, whether it's heating technology, um, all kinds of scanning technology, and then use that technology for different offerings, right? So, so okay. to take the expertise, engineering expertise that we have and use it in a, in a different way. And then also to expand a lot. You, you talked about our core imaging. We're also, um, you know, world known for, for, for our IoT and, and cloud enabled imaging technology, right? So in order to get good focus across those three areas, we put R&D, um, supply chain, and service delivery for our imaging uh, in one area. And it's been a, an incredible um, strength, especially during the crisis. And we can talk right. a little bit about that, but uh, outstanding group of people across the board, whether they're in separate organizations or not. But when we, when we came together, we're, we're, we're quite a force now. It seems like it. And, you know, as of a little bit that you shared there, uh, you know, powering information, moving at the speed of light in an easier, more convenient way, you know, sharing the information that teams around the world need to make decisions faster, make better decisions faster. Uh, seems like one of the things you are powering. So, so much to cover, so little time, but looking forward right. to learning a lot more with Tanya Jackson. So Tanya, um, 
I don't know about you. I call myself a supply chain nerd, and, and we got plenty of stuff to, to work through. You may be a you may be a fellow supply chain uh, nerd like me. But before we get into that, I want to go okay. way back. I want to learn more about Tanya Jackson, kind of maybe pre-executive practitioner. So tell us, <laughs> where did you grow up? And give us a few aspects of your upbringing. What was what was inseparable from your upbringing, Tanya? Okay, well, I'll go way back to the beginning, and I was I'm from North Carolina. Okay, I'm from Wilson, North Carolina. I'm from it's it's in Eastern North Carolina. I, it's a very small town. Most people say I'm okay. from Eastern North Carolina, but I'm going to own it. I'm from Wilson, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> back in the day, it was called Wide Awake Wilson uh, because Wide it Awake wasn't, Wilson because it. Because it wasn't wide awake, right? And uh, I grew up uh, same same house. We stayed on the same. Uh, even when I go home today, I still go back to the the same home that's been sold now, of course. But you know, the owner now I, I welcomes me into the into the home. So I have that's um, cool. I have three brothers. I grew up with three brothers. Uh, my mother was a school teacher. My father owned his business as a brick mason. It was a generational you know, kind of business. And um, the growing up with three brothers uh, was, I think, is a big part of who I am. I received no special mm. treatment as the only girl. Uh, and that's probably fair because I was probably more of the instigator than them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh, I was more into the shenanigans than, than they were. But uh, uh, love my brothers. Uh, we Sport. I'm a big sports fan. Uh, if you have three brothers, you, you kind of have to be. Well, it depends. I'm, I'm a for football for professional football. I'm a Steeler fan. Okay. And you may your next question may be you're from North Carolina. How in the world did that happen? Um, right. <laughs> but back you're reading at, my you know, mind, Tanya. I, I'm trying to do both sides of the microphone. So <laughs> you know, in those days, there were three channels. Right. It wasn't wasn't cable, and so. The Redskins, Washington, the Washington football yep. team now, was our home team in North Carolina. Right. And my bro my oldest brother was a cowboy fan. And and I, I say he was an obnoxious cowboy fan, but that, that might <laughs> is be there redundant. Any, is, there any, be, is there any other kind? <laughs> that's fairly <laughs> redundant, right? So so but he was uh, but we, you know, Sunday was a big thing for us. We'd all gather football and, 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 you know, my youngest brother was a dolphin fan and the uh, middle one was a Raider fan, but the Cowboys were very good back in those days. And the Redskins, though, the home team, that's kind of, I like the Redskins, but they, the, the Steelers though, whenever it mattered, when it was a foot Super Bowl, they crushed the Cowboys. They just, they destroyed them. So therefore right. I became a Steeler fan because it would silence my <laughs> older brother. So I am a diehard Steeler fan, even though, you know, they've had some tough times recently, but uh, right. I, I love the Steelers. I even went to one of their training camps. Uh, they have a, they have a women's training camp. Okay. That's the kind of Steeler fan I am. Yeah. I went Man, and okay. did some drills recently. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, so, so one, one final question um, about your Steeler fandom. So whenever yes. you went to a, um, you know, a home game, we, I've heard a lot, never been there. Uh, I had a, I had a cousin that spent some time with Electrolux in Pittsburgh and he told me, and of course what I see on TV, P is it Pamani brothers? It's like a famous restaurant in Pittsburgh. They've got this smash so. sandwich. Yeah. Yes. So, either. okay. So you and I will have to go up to Pittsburgh, take in a Steelers home game and get and visit Pamani brothers. How's that sound? I'm in, 
I'm in. As okay. long as it's, you know, not too cold. I'm, I like the yeah. Steelers, but, you know, I don't want to be out there cold. <laughs> yes, that sounds good. It that sounds good. It, I bet it didn't get too cold in Wide Awake Wilson because I, I grew up in South Carolina and all North Carolina's oh, yeah. a little bit northern, but you know we're not we're not used to that um, snow on the ground for a month and ten degree weather, are no. we? No, the um, when we had we had when we had big snowfalls or even little snowfalls when we had a forecast of snow, we didn't go to school and uh, because there the philosophy is it will melt. Just give it time. Right. Uh, so. so <laughs> We um, may be third cousins, was, Tanya. We, we, we grew up in a very similar, <laughs> similar environment. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to investigate that after the fact. Yeah, it didn't snow um, much. But yeah, weather was good. Weather still is good yes. down there. Yeah. So let's, um, one more, one final question about where you grew up. Then I'm going to get, I want to get into your journey sure. uh, from Hampton University, you know, up through advanced degrees and supply chain. And, and then, of course, in the, in the C-suite where you are today. Uh, but food in Eastern... Food. Eastern North, Eastern North Carolina, Wilson in Eastern North Carolina, um, the bar- barbecue, of course, you can't say North Carolina. I was going to say, you got to talk about barbecue and you're from South so what, Carolina. So you probably have mustard right? barbecue, right? Yeah. We have right. a vinegar based. Yes. 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 Yeah, so I find it all delicious, but Tanya growing, growing up for you in Wilson, what was like, when you think of a barbecue dinner, build that plate for us. What does that mean to you? Well, it's going to be vinegar based barbecue, uh, coleslaw sometimes coleslaw on the barbecue on a sandwich. Uh, something called, that I don't know if many people know about, called Brunswick stew. And that's a big yes. big thing in, uh, in in North Carolina. Hush puppies or corn sticks. Oh, man. Whatever your preference is there. Probably potato salad, collard greens. Okay. Uh, we're a definitely going to spend some time and break <laughs> bread together at some point soon. I would just add one last thing. Cause we, we could, we could have a barbecue podcast if we blink here. But um, when I grew up in South Carolina, Aiken, it, it was hash and rice, which is kind of a play on Brunswick stew. Mm. Um, but you know, rice is really big. Uh, and man, i tell you what, mustard based barbecue sauce on top of uh, pulled pork, hash and rice slaw, which is really important because you got to cut the, you know, kind of the, the fattiness of, of the barbecue, man, we're going to, we're going to break some bread together, Tanya. Yeah, you may be hungry. Yeah, Thank sure. you very much. Sure, sure. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's, I, like I said, I grew up in Wilson, still very close to a lot of people in Wilson. Um, many of us who went to school together, even though we've gone separate ways, very, very, still very close. And um, uh, we were raised about, you know, how I think uh, it takes a village. I think we were raised that way before that was a thing. It's just, it was just mm-hmm. a very close knit community. So uh, on that, uh, you, you're talking about folks you went to school together. You went, so um, where is Hampton University? Hampton University is in Hampton, Virginia, which is near Norfolk. Um, it's uh, our tagline, if you will, is home by the sea because okay. it's right on the coast. It's a beautiful campus. Um, I may I may dare you to find a prettier campus. It's, it's, just, it's just a very, very pretty, it's just a very pretty campus. Uh, it is a historically black college. My mother uh, went to Hampton, and so we would visit for homecoming and those types of things. So I was familiar with the campus. I did apply to, I, I was headed to Chapel Hill, uh, obviously, if you're in North Carolina. And I think we went to a football game at Hampton or something right around that time. And, and I, you know, I had like kind of was making a decision, and, and it was right. the, the atmosphere and, um, 
I just made, made the decision to go to Hampton at that time. And my youngest brother, we're about 18 months apart. So we're very close even still to this day. He also went to Hampton. So quite a family affair for us. Sounds like it. A uh, family of alums from Hampton University. One that one. Let's just let's just coin it. The most beautiful college campus in the states. <laughs> I would send, challenge I'll you to find a prettier one. I will send right? you a picture. Yeah, <laughs> please do. <laughs> um, all right. So at Har uh, at Hampton University, uh, bachelor's degree in chemistry. Now we established in the pre-show. Man, if I I was bad at math. I was worse in chemistry and, there, and we're talking, it wasn't even a challenge. So why chemistry? And then I, I want to talk more about kind of your, your overall yeah, journey, sure. get some of your, your highlights. Sure. I guess I'll, I'll take you back to Wilson for a minute. I was always very good in math and science. I, I just really enjoyed it. I had a, it was very easy for me. And at the, in, the, in my generation, when you were good in math and science, people wanted you to go into pre-med and because engineering was a little more abstract, maybe uh, physical sciences were a little different. So it was steering you toward pre-med. And when I was in high school, I went to, it was, it was called a governor's program. A lot of states have governor schools and those kinds of things. And I went in science uh, because I love science. And, and one of the things we did was we went to Wake Forest Bowman Gray School of Medicine. See, see how it's so vivid in my mind. I remember the name, everything. And it was, <laughs> we went to a, uh, it was, um, there was a room and there were hearts on the table and it was, it was, it was supposed to be, you, you, you look at these hearts, you under, you know, you start to understand the, the, the science behind it because you're on the pre-med track. Gotcha. This, when I walked, the smell got me first, just, really, you know, and then I, I never picked up the heart, you know, it just, it just could, it wasn't for me. And I said, okay, boy, so this Tanya, is hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Do it. You're talking real hearts. I was thinking shapes. You're talking real nah, hearts. No, 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 no. Organs, real organs, organs, real organs, organs. If you're okay. going into medicine, that's, that's a good thing. That's a gotcha. good, that's a great experience. It was also right. a good okay. experience. And one of the lessons is that I think it's always good to know what you, what you don't want to do or what you're not capable of. In my case, I wasn't <laughs> capable of going down that path. And, and so, right, it was good. It was good. And I, I still like science. And then we also had like an astronomy section and we had a, a physics section and all those kinds of things. And, and I was, I, I knew right away that, you know, okay, I, I like math and science, but I, you don't want me operating on anybody, you know? So uh, when I, when I went to Hampton, I was actually an engineering, I started out as a mechanical engineering major. Okay. And chemistry was one of the prereqs for any engineering um, school as you know it's, it's a chemistry and engineering were almost identical maybe first couple of years um, of base the core curriculum and there were some differences for engineering and that kind of thing and and I took the first chemistry class and I just I just really enjoyed it and I know that's hard for you to believe but I, <laughs> I just really I enjoyed it and I you know talked to my advisor and and it was my freshman year so there wasn't much lost time or anything still had to take the same amount of math up through differential equations calc three and all those kinds of things and and uh, but i it was i i just i really enjoyed the, the lab work um I, I i just enjoyed the science behind it love that and i would stand i would uh you know we, we need more folks from all walks of life all uh, academic disciplines in uh, global supply chain, including folks that love chemistry, right? That's, uh, you know, I had a show not too long ago, Tanya, 
with a um, uh, someone that majored in the fine classical arts, and he never uh-huh. thought he had found himself in supply chain, but he found supply chain. Still loves art, right, and that creative side. But now he's applying all of that to global supply chain. I'm like that. It's a beautiful thing. So yeah, I think the, I think the tie right. is the scientific method is is similar, right? You you different problems for sure, but I think if you think about problems as a hypothesis and how do you solve them it is it, it you can get there you can right. get there i'm with you i'm with you so all right some bachelor's degree in chemistry from hampton university in beautiful virginia uh later advanced degrees from vassar college and ohio uh, university as we established you started with lexmark at its inception 91 and now you're here in 2022 you're in the c-suite uh incredible journey uh some of those travel stories that we may i'd love to get into we we'll, we'll have to have you back to talk more about that but so much so much to talk about so little time sure. as you look back on that journey um what's a couple of things that come to mind uh, that really shaped who you are sure i think when i graduate when i when I, while i was at hampton i did a couple two interviews with ibm in manassas virginia which is northern virginia and yep. good they were real jobs i mean it was a real it wasn't you know kind of coming let's introduce you to something. It was a real assignment, real projects and those kinds of things. And back at Hampton, you had to report, you had to present what you did for the summer anyway. So it was it was in you know everybody's best interest to have those those things aligned. Um, but I enjoyed IBM and when I um, graduated, I was I had an offer from IBM Raleigh Research Triangle Park and okay. Manassas and Poughkeepsie, New York. Yeah, three different offers from Big Blue. Big Blue. And Big Blue was wow. a big deal. Uh, it still right. is, but it was a really big deal in those days, right? And so if you listen to that story again, North Carolina, Virginia, New York. I chose New York. And um, I can only say, I, so, so I'd never been to New York, and I thought it would be really a, an interesting thing. It was, it was, I enjoy New York. I love the people in New York. I have no, no problems, but the cost of living was, was insane. So uh, we trans, we transferred back. My, I got married during that time. We transferred back down to um, Kentucky, IBM Lexington at the time. And then we were sold uh, and became Lexmark, which was a liberating kind of experience. We talked a little bit about the formality. Uh, IBM was very formal. I don't think it is anymore, right. but it was very formal. And uh, Lexmark became, uh, it was a spinoff and we had, we were just in the imaging space. We were, it was almost like a startup mentality. And we, we, we started with a different printing technology. And I was, I was in the new part of the printing technology, which, which was called Inkjet. Um, right now we're primarily, we're focused on laser, but uh, right. the lesson in, in that process, um, that's when I, I probably grew up the most. And because you did everything, you were, you were starting, they were starting a new business. So you were R and D, you were procurement, you were, um, uh, kind of supply chain. And I'll tell you that why, why that's why, how I ended up in supply chain, but, uh, so it was very good. And, and I'd say one of my uh, lessons there is my, uh, my all-time favorite manager there, uh, his name was Russ Stewart. He really uh, taught me a big lesson in leadership. And that was, you know, you kind of, you put the, the markers out there and say, this is where we're going, but you don't tell people how to get there. You don't, you, you got, you, you can participate. You can, um, you know, be a sounding board. 
but he he really set big goals and and gave everybody all kinds of opportunity to fail and which was often but it was um it, there wasn't a um punishment for that it was it was less okay that we learned from that let's go let's go try something else and uh over the course he he became he was a manager but also a very good friend and because of just the trust that he had in me from a very um you know, you know, young age, I tell the story about, he was a double, he was a, he was an electrical engineer and okay. he asked me cause he, he knew my chemistry background and he said, I want you to go do all of this. It was a, a largely material science job, a material engineering. I'm a chemistry major. And I said, <laughs> Russ, <laughs> Russ, I'm not a material scientist. He said, I'm a double E. What's the difference? Chemistry, material science, whatever. <laughs> Just go do, you know, you can figure it out. But he, but he didn't just throw me at it. He also gave me a mentor and uh, someone who was many years my senior, but he, his, he embraced the role to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, impart wisdom here. I'm going to, you know, you're going to definitely learn, but I'm going to be passing you information. I'm not just, you're not just observing here. I'm going to do, I'm going to start this and you're going to pick it up. So it was, it was set up very, very well from, from that perspective in terms of a big assignment and, and a good, a very good support system. Um, one of my so really quick, well, Russ Stewart, it sounds like to me, if I may interrupt just for a second, Tanya, sure. it sounds like to me, um, we need more Russ Stewart's approaches to management and leadership in industry. Basically, just a little bit of what you just shared there, just to enable and empower folks to fail that in and of itself. Um, these, that's how we learn and innovate and grow and get outside of our comfort zone and, and have those eureka moments, right? Yeah. It, we talk a lot about it, you know, about uh, trust and those kinds of things. And it's, it's easy words to say, but it's, it's, it's difficult to execute. But when you do, it's real and, and you get more and more confident. And I think as a young person, like you said, you know, going from, uh, I'm a chemist, chemistry major. I did a lot of chemistry when I was in, working at IBM in New York, but um, but the more different that I was able to do so many different assignments and get more confidence, um, because nobody, and the other thing is I'd say he believed in you that that's a big part of, mm. of growing up too. And I think once you, uh, once the more you are able to, to work in an environment where you can, you can't, I mean, you have to have success. I'm not sitting here saying you, you, you continue to fail, but you stumble and, and there's this, okay, what'd you learn? Let's go, let's go get it done. And that gives that gave me the confidence to try different jobs uh, because I, I'd say um, many people had more confidence in me before I had confidence in, in myself in terms of what I what I could do. I love that. Uh, there's there's so much you just shared in the last six minutes. That I think a lot of folks can relate to, and hopefully draw on. What else? Um, when you look back at your journey, uh, especially yeah. with with a key eureka. So it's clearly, Russ Stewart was a yep. big um, player in that journey. What else comes to mind? Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll go back to my developing this, uh, the uh, inkjet printhead. One of the things, and, and I think many companies are doing it, and I'll give Lexmark all the credit in the world for really believing and putting plans in place to rotate people. So uh, we had a belief, and we still do, that, to grow in the leadership ranks, it is important to look at to 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 sit in different parts of the business, right? To to um, because you grow your leadership 
you, you never, um, your biggest growth is when you're managing an area that you're not familiar with. If you're familiar with it, there's a tendency to be, I'm not going to say everybody's a micromanager, but they could be because you, you literally understand the space. But when you move to right. a different space, that's when you learn, um, you know, how to lead because you, you can't do stuff because you don't, you're not the subject matter expert. Um, and so one of the things uh, within Lexmark that we, we try to do is rotate people. So I moved to the, uh, first of all, I moved to the sustainability group which was super broad and internal and external and probably one of my biggest growth opportunities because I did not really know the space at all. And I really had to rely on some, some key people who were willing to, you know, to take me on and and teach me. And I think there's a humility that you have to have when you switch jobs, right? uh, Because unless you're some insane, um, you have, unless you have an insane ego, you, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You, you you can't go to a new place that you don't really know and think you and try to act like you do. You just can't. Right. Uh, because everybody knows the truth. And I think when you what, what you learn from that, I like to say you learn how to learn, because when you switch jobs or you go to a different rotation place, it is a very um, there's a feeling of inadequacy. And, and, and I'm saying that for me. I, don't, I can't speak for other people, but you were you knew what you were doing over here. And now you go to a new place and you just don't. And you think, you know, you should, you're the leader of the organization, but there's just, uh, you know, things you don't know. And, and so the first time you do that, there's a, it's, it's, it's really, it's hard. You're excited. There's this line between you're really excited and there's a fear thing. You're going back and forth, back and forth. Um, And, but you learn that, okay, this is going to get better every day and next month is going to be a little bit better. And then you finally, you know, find your groove. So that the next time that you make a move, it's just as bad. The feeling is just as yeah. bad, but you know, I can get through this because I've done this, right? I know what this process feels like. And so the longer you delay doing that in your career, the harder the harder it is when you finally make that move because it's the first time that you really are right. like, back on your heels. Like, oh my goodness, what, is, what are these people saying? I don't understand, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, so. When, when after sustainability, though, um, we we wanted to say, okay, R and D. There's this, always this tension, right, between R and D and supply chain. Uh, there's just there just is a healthy tension, um, but there's a tension. So well, why well, is that? <laughs> why? Well, I think it's a it's there's a there is um, the design stage, and then there's a manufacturing. So the design you can build, you, you go from ten to ten million, right? Right, and so what does that what does that handoff look like? How do you sustain it and all of those types of things the The challenge is that many people the people on one side are never on the other side and the people so so there's this why don't they do this thing that goes on right on both sides right and right so we we it's moved. a healthy tension as you said it is it is it's a healthy tension but but neither side i mean well it, it's possible, but you get you gain more empathy for both sides if you rotate. Because yes. there's some real good reasons, for example, as to why things are designed that may be difficult to support from the supply chain side. They're right. Really good reasons. There's also right. good reasons that maybe you don't need to do some things on the design side in order for the supply chain side to support. But until you rotate, you don't have that. You just don't have that empathy. It's, I wouldn't say you don't. It's harder to have that empathy. Right. So uh, I moved you know, over really to... Quick. 
I'm really sorry, quick, Tanya, what, as you describe that, it, it takes me back to my metal stamping um, days in a manufacturing plant where I worked with some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Brilliant, innovative problem. They're going to find a way through it. And in particular, as you're describing that kind of that practical, the, the supply chain side and that um, that uh, product development that, um, you know, we're going to make tools to make certain parts. We're still figuring out what the parts look like. Man, to be in a room full of those folks as they're having and marking up uh, drawings and kind of figuring out what has to happen, what needs right. to happen, and just having that that tension, that healthy tension play out, it's it's one of the best parts about uh, what I would call manufacturing, global supply chain, innovation, but practical innovation so we can, we can make what we come up with or we can produce what we come up with. Right. It's really... It's a wonderful part about industry. So thank you for sharing yeah. that tension between those two sides. And no I wonder where the rotation comes into play. No wonder you, you got organizations can gain so much from that. Sure, sure. Because you, you see, it's, it's, it's almost like you finally say, oh, I see why they did it that way. I see right. why, or I see why they're asking me instead of, I don't know why they're bugging me with this. It's like, oh, I get it. Because if I, you know, done this differently. So when I moved over to supplies, I moved over to what we call supplies operations, which is our um, cartridges or, you know, we have hardware and then gotcha. we have the supply por portion of that. So I was on the R&D side on inkjet supplies. So develop the supplies, now move to manufacturing. And that's, and, and so keep in mind when we did that, it was a startup, we kind of did it all. But now it ballooned to millions and millions of cartridges, right? And when I saw what I had developed, it was the ugliest supply chain you can ever imagine, right? It was just stuff. It was just, uh, and I did it for, you know, it was like, well, you, when, when you're designing something, you're trying to find something that works. And if a supplier is here, there, it's like, you know, I, this works, right? And, and so you, you go with it. Uh, but I had a better appreciation when I went to try to support that of, because supplies live a long time. You, you continue to. Right. Uh, use supplies. I had a better appreciation of, okay, I I think I got it. You know, this is um, they're they're different. I could have I could have made different decisions, <laughs> or could right. I? In some cases, you can't. That's the thing, though. You can't. You you. But then, then how do you build something? Okay, this is the decision I need to make for this technology. But what's the best way to to op to 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 put it in an operation so that it can be sustained? So so yes. that was kind of. Um, how I ended up in supply chain from, from operation side. And then I, I stayed after that and I've been here for, for since then. And now we've combined the organizations together. Uh, but it was, it, 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 it gives you a little bit of a, you know, uh, bilingual a little bit because you, because sometimes the other problem that people organizations have is they they just don't speak the same language. They're right. not angry. They're not, they, they want to, but there's, there's like, I don't know what, these people are saying to me kind of thing. So um, that, that has been a, a key thing for Lexmark's uh, leadership program. And especially um, as you're talking about uh, kind of those language barriers, uh, not just functionally within a global enterprise, but the geographically, um, right. you know, skill set. I mean, there's all sorts of barriers that can, that can present themselves when we're talking about communicating key information, even within the same organization. Um, so it sounds like to me, part of, um, your background that has served you well is, uh, and, and has helped enable you to build those bridges amongst all the different aspects organization that, 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 that you lead 
is having experienced a lot of that and finally seeing the other side of the coin and then helping others see both sides of the coin. Um, so we can, we can communicate and be on the same page more often and get more done. Absolutely. And, you know, listening is a listening is a key part of that. Yes. I'm with you, man. Uh, if we could all, all of us listen just a little bit more, right. Um, so I want to share, there, there's so much I want to ask you. I, I know you, you've got a thousand things going on. I want to move forward a little bit to uh, talk manufacturing. It's one of my favorite aspects yeah. um, of global business. Uh, you know, uh, my granddad retired as a machine operator with Kimberly Clark way back in the day. And I never, because I didn't have an awareness of manufacturing, you know, I never sat down and talked about that as a high school or even a college student because yeah. it just wasn't part. It was, it was a blind part. Blind, it was in my blind spot. Right. It wasn't until after college that I toured a manufacturing facility. We got to we got to change that. But um, let's talk about Lexmark, the culture. Uh, Ten straight years. I got that right with the Manufacturing Leadership Award from the Manufacturing Leadership Council, which for folks may not know, that's affiliated with the National Association of Manufacturers, which does a good job of creating more awareness for the manufacturing industry, which I love what they do there at NAM. So let's talk what you know, the, to win the award once, much less 10 times. What aspect of the Lexmark culture enables that to happen, Tanya? It's a great, great question. I was thinking about that as I was uh, preparing for this uh, because I, I don't, because you, as you said, it's been 10 years. And so now I don't think we even think about what we, it, it's just kind of normal. And, and I'll right. tell you how we got here, which I just, I'd say, stay with me on this one, but in supply chain, in manufacturing, there's a lot of firefighting, just facts. Nope. Nobody's fault. It just is. Right. And so as a leader of the organization, I was always informed, um, visible people, project, firefighting things were visible to me. The projects that were, um, the, the, that were planned, that were either strategic or that were just there were continuous improvement that were happening weren't so visible to me because they worked right everything right. everything was working right. and that's a good thing right for sure but the what we were unintentionally communicating is that if it's something on fire then it's going to be you know I'm I'm going to have visibility to it and if things are working I'm not. So what we Im- what we implemented several years ago now uh, around that time. That's why I said I, it did occur to me that this is part 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 of it. We started um, what we call a project meeting. That's we're, we're simple people here. That we don't have fancy names. This is project <laughs> meeting. So, <laughs> and what it was was we put a shared file out there, and anybody that had a project could sign up. It, it well, my my direct staff. They would. I said, you know, you. If you've got somebody working on something in your area that uh, you want, it, it, not a not a something's on fire, and it's and it's an employee-led project, right? This isn't a management update. This is this employees coming in and presenting. It's a one-hour meeting once a month, thirty minute, two projects, thirty minutes each. So because there's a there's a there's a learning in presenting your project and you know being saying okay, they knocked this out in thirty minutes, and this is what we did. This is why we did it. Right. And, you know, this is the next steps. And so there's a, um, any project doesn't, there's no, it doesn't have to be a certain criteria. It doesn't have to save X dollars. It just, you want to talk about your project. And so through those, through that process, the, we, um, 
the projects that are winning are from that process. When we, right. the, the staff listens to all of the um, projects throughout the year and, and there are things that are, are really moving the business forward, things that we said, this is what we want to go do strategically. They, they're working, there's more work to do for sure, but that's how we, that's the funnel, if you will, of, of the key projects. So, so as part of the, the project reporting tool, what we were doing is taking output from those key projects and then we would meet as a staff and say, okay, what do we want to submit for the Manufacturing Leadership Award? And at the beginning, it was very central to what we were doing as an organization. But the cool thing lately is uh, they are very cross-functional. They include some collaboration in terms of, let's say, product allocation and those kinds of things with the sales team. They include things like inventory management and those kind of things with um, finance. Uh, they include some of the IoT work that we're doing with our connected technologies team. So, but all of them are just coming. What we really we, we have to fight fires. We have to run the business. We have to serve customers. And and unfortunately, you know, people who are in supply chain, no matter what you do, how good you are, something's going to you know happen. And you still have to right. manage that. But the organ, but people in the organization need to know that's not the only thing that is uh, is rewarded. And and uh, that we want to make time to hear to to hear. So so that's our um, culture, if you will. It's basically a, a shared document. Sign up, first come, first serve, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we get some really good projects out of that. I love that. Um, quick follow up, and then I want to talk more about supply chain and some of y'all's priorities uh, this year and beyond. Um, you mentioned a couple times in your last response that uh, you know firefighting problems, curveballs, it comes with the territory here in global supply chain. Yes. Do you think that um, consumers, uh, 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 do you think one of the silver linings of the last couple of years, maybe prior to the pandemic and prior to the last few years, consumers may not have realized how much heroism, I'll call it, um, and brave from frontline, across industry, a variety of different, different aspects, all that has to get done for us to conveniently walk into a store with reliability, <laughs> probably far too often than we deserve, pick whatever we need, whatever flavor, what, you know, all kinds of different variety and choices, pay for it, the price we want. I mean, it really is remarkable. I would argue, love to get your take. These last few years, hopefully the consumer are very fat, a savvy, educated consumer. That's one more thing that they've, they've gained perspective wise in the last few years to understand and appreciate what supply chain folks have to do? I think it depends. Okay. <laughs> I, I All think, right. Good. Good. I, I, I think people, the one thing I've noticed, and I'll go with my own, I have three daughters. And one of the things is the, um, what do you call it? The delivery time or the, before it would be, if I can't get it tomorrow, I'm not ordering it. Now it's like, oh, okay, that's, I, I, can, I can deal with it in three weeks, four weeks, you know, that, so that <laughs> the expectation has changed. Um, but I, I do think it's it's still the 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 complexity of the supply chain, like meaning something happens in this country, and you know I'm not sure people understand. Well, why does it impact this over here, and for how long? Right. I think that's still, um, uh, um, you know, there, there's still some some understanding there. But but at the end of the right. day, Scott, I think I think people just want their stuff, and and right. it it doesn't really they don't. Um, it's up to us. All the rest, to, all the rest to is non-value added is what you're saying, yes. Tanya. All the rest is yeah. non-value added. They don't care about it. They want their stuff. 
at the price they, they, uh, and the time, right? They want their stuff. And, and you know, it's funny you, you talked about, uh, I think the other thing that is, is changing perhaps more internally than to the consumer and, and part of the organization that we, we formed together, what we are learning is the leverage internal, the things that we can influence to help with that disruption. So meaning uh, a lot of the design work that we can do to, to have more commonality in design, to have somewhat more simplification, to have more sources of the same components, because something is going to happen in some country. It just is. Right. And so the more versatility we can have internally to uh, overcome some of that so people can get their stuff is, is yes. really you know, where, where, what we're learning internally. But I wish I wish I could say people are more tolerant. I, I'm not so sure. I, I, and I don't I don't know that that's wrong. I mean, because, uh, you know, we got to rise up and meet the, you know, hit the bar. That is true. That is true. Well, we'll, we'll come back. We'll circle back on that. Uh, the jury is still out, maybe in some regards. Uh, but I like one of the, one, uh, many things you share. One of those in particular, um, you know, having those more options, more sourcing options, more trust filled relationships. That are that you can go to when those things that you've, you've pointed out happen inevitably they do and it's tough to as we've learned i think one of the other things we've learned the last couple of years um as my my dear co-host greg white puts it it's it's tough to um what does he say it's it's tough to start a friendship when you need it rather than kind of <laughs> invest in it before you need it right and then you know but we'll save that for another time i want to talk about supply chain priorities uh, for your global supply chain operations at Lexmark, you know, you've been leading uh, that aspect and and more of the business, but that in particular since 2013. Um, so much we could really nerd out on all things supply chain. It's, it's an intriguing time, challenging but intriguing time to be in that. When you look at your priorities for your organization this year and beyond, what are some of those things that you can share? Yeah, the first. I think is a priority. It's probably it could be a priority for any any organization, but uh, certainly for our organization, especially given the year we talk about last year, but it's it's this has been going on for a long time. This this disruption right. is to, to care for our people. Um, our our they have been phenomenal, especially people in this space, as you said, people. Um, you know, this, the, the stress that's been in, in that, you know, kind of supply chain part of the organization. Right. The stress has been on individuals has been in, incredible. And um, we've weathered some storms. The people have been re incredibly resilient, resourceful, and just uh, amazing. And and I would say from, from my organization, our competitive advantage is the people. And that's a complete sentence in end. They, they've been phenomenal. And that, that's the whole product delivery team, which is the supply chain is a portion of that. So we have to figure out this year, that's, that's one of our key pillars this year is employee experience. And we have to figure out, uh, we have to communicate and talk and listen because we know we need to do more, but it's different. I mean, what people different, they're diff, different people uh, need different, you know, um, initiatives around recognition, around well-being, around growth and those types of things. So our focus this year, like our number one is that now, now let, let me let me be clear. If we know we got to go get cost out and we know we have to do availability. I'm not that's that's like, <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, but to to what what we've done to your point, what all company and what all companies have done over these past two years, 
the people have been incredible. You can talk about digital transformation all you want, but there's there's just people that have just been figuring things out because every nothing's normal. Nothing, everything is you know chaotic. So that's that's one of our our key focus areas is what what yep. do we do from an employee experience and how do we, um, especially from a I'd say career development, uh, are there rotational opportunities? Are there um, cross training opportunities? Those types of things because there's a burnout situation, and so can we move? someone to another area that is more that, that where they are learning as part of their professional development as well. I mean, obviously it's, it's a both and it's, you know, company opportunity as well as the, the person. So, so what, what do we do then? What, what, pe- what do people need in terms of recognition in this virtual world? We used to do a lot of gatherings and those types of things. And globally now we can maybe do a little bit better virtually, but you know, there's a limit as to how long people want right. to be on the, on a, on a team's call. Uh, the second one, I'd say, no Wait a doubt. Second. Is, you is mean pro- folks are folks are teams are zoomed out? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, like- <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Tanya, do you ever? Are you, are you like me? And maybe some of our listeners can relate to. Do you ever kind of um, after your 27th Zoom or Teams or whatever video call of the week, and then you've got a just a cell phone call? You kind of it's almost like a, um, a a silly luxury these days, but where it's audio only. Is that, do you feel that yes. same thing, Tanya? It's great. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm with you. I am with you. Um, I all do. right. So you were talking, so folks are, you know, they, they, they have yeah, a conference think, call, they're remoted out. What continue to your, yeah, I there. think so we, we're, we're focused on what, what do we need to do as an organization to, um, improve our employee experience. What, and, and, and again, we don't have, I don't have the answer for that. I think I've got thoughts, but they may not be relevant to a particular group. So we've got to do some listening there. And the other one, which you talked about is I'm going to put it in a big bucket. That's just improve our agility and flexibility. That could be, look like, you know, how, how we manage risk. That should be, uh, it could be the normal operational type things, but it's also, as I said, it's a combination of the design um, and the, 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 the operation to the customer, any kind of return back from a service perspective, you know, what do we need to do um, differently? And, and it, it kind of looks like, um, it, you know, concept that's out is called design thinking. And you think about design thinking in terms of either UX or you think about it in terms of designing products, but it, it's much broader than that. And, and what, it, what it means, you know, for us is that there may be some obvious solutions that are right in front of us that we have mental barriers that we can't do. So just kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, we've got these, these problems. Let's, let's really think about it differently because I can tell you during the crisis, we did a lot of outside of the box thinking as did everybody. And there were many things that we said we couldn't do, but when you are like at the end of the rope, you do it and you know, you live through it. And so institutionalizing that good behavior, um, without a crisis is, is, is something that we, we want to do, but it's really, uh, the world is, the world is the world. And we, the expectation is that people just want their stuff. And so we've got it. We have to do better with agility and flexibility and we just have to. And that that means that that's, there's, there's a lot of bullets underneath that, but that's kind of what, what we're thinking. Outstanding. I love that. Especially going back to your first part of your answer, that employee experience. I know that uh, employee experience, user experience, customer experience, there's all these X's, but 
you know, even if they are cliches, the actions behind them, the fact that they are priorities like like you're uh, like they are at Lexmark, that is a wonderful thing. And and I look again at that's part of the silver lining um, with the pandemic. And and you know, uh, it's been a lot of a lot of pain and and um, heartbreak for a lot of folks. But if, if if industry can learn from these last couple of years and then act on it like y'all are doing, um, we're going to be stronger and and our workforces will be in a better spot uh, moving forward. So I appreciate that, Tanya. Absolutely. I want to, um, you strike me and maybe I'm wrong. We don't go back. You know, we may be third cousins, but we don't go that back. That I far. thought we, we were cousins at afterwards. the beginning. Are we separating now? Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you, so you strike me as a pretty humble leader and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and, and usually when I interview humble leaders, uh, they don't like talking about themselves and and their own recognition. But uh, let's face it, industry has recognized you with a lot of different accolades and awards, including here late uh, recently, notable woman in supply chain and logistics. Um, so tell me, Tanya, in your from where you sit, how can we as an industry, global supply chain, how can we do better to provide opportunities and advancement, not just the opportunities, but once you give them the opportunity, kind of like what Russ Stewart did, you know, challenge you with the opportunity, but then help you, help you, but even if you fail, he's going to help you fail, succeed, move forward, advance. How do we do that better? Yeah. Um, I think for, for, I'll go back to my own kind of how I got here, if you will. Uh, there were, like I said, there were people who believed in me and gave me opportunities that I didn't know even existed. And so I think the first, one of the things we can do better is recognize that I'd say, you know, mileage difference, right? People get there different ways and they start at different places. And so just because someone hasn't demonstrated something, um, it could be that they're unaware of the opportunity. They haven't had uh, someone talk to them about, hey, did you think about this? Did you think about that? So I think this this whole, if you if you call it equity, uh, like where do you start? Where where is everybody starting from? And making sure that we don't exclude someone because they haven't demonstrated something, give people a chance. And but you gotta you gotta be patient, right? Because if they haven't if they they've been going down this track and now you say hey let's go try this you got it you have to what i can say give you have to give people some grace here and let them let them you know get there on their own get there on their own way mm-hmm. and i think as a leadership team we we have to what what i what i've what i've started doing is uh, we have a we had a a, conf, a a initiative called chat it up chat it up with an executive so it was a teams global teams call right and and people and you could talk about you talk more about person the that it was an introduction of me or as an executive, as a person, like, like asking about product availability was, was out of bounds. You couldn't, they couldn't do it, but there were some questions. <laughs> you could talk Steelers though, right? <laughs> you could talk Steelers, but you couldn't say, okay. you know, uh, where, when am I going to get my, my stuff? So, uh, but there were some people who had some really good questions uh, related to opportunity and those kinds of things. So afterwards I would, you know, I chat like virtual chat, chat, and then follow that up with a phone call, a, a you know, a virtual phone call. So I, I think for for the leaderships, if you if some people are hungry for information and they don't quite know where to go, I think it's up to us to try to connect with those folks and and then help them connect, you know, with where they want to go to to kind of navigate, if you will, for you know, to help people. 
And, and part of that is making yourself uh, available and accessible because there's a, you want to make sure that, um, I always want to make sure I'm accessible. I might not be available because of time, but that's a different thing. You don't want to be viewed as not accessible. So I think giving people access to you is, is, is hugely important because like I said, I, I benefited from, from people sitting me down and saying, these are the opportunities that you don't even know about. And why don't you try this and pushing me in many cases to go, go do something. And, um, I, I, and I try to do that with other, with, with, with people as well. The other thing I, I try to tell people is when you're, we are looking for authenticity. We're looking for people who, um, you know, I, I like to say everybody has a thought bubble over their head, you know? Right. And so when I ask somebody a question, I'm like, I want to hear the thought bubble. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to hear because people, you, you, you may say what you think somebody wants to hear and what you're really looking for is what you really think. And, and that takes trust as well. That doesn't just happen. And so I think making sure that as, especially as you're building an organization that you're, I'm trying to make sure people understand they can say what they want to say uh, because we all need to hear it. And, and so try to make sure that people are really uh, communicating and, and make, making sure that people are communicating in a way that um, uh, they believe is speaking truth. Mm. So much there. Um, so much there. I really appreciate your time here today. Uh, again, we didn't get to some of those travel stories. I bet you've got quite a few, <laughs> but we'll have to have you come back next time. Um, yeah. uh, so let's make sure folks know how to connect with the pride of Wide Awake Wilson, North Carolina, <laughs> Tanya Jackson, and of course, Lexmark, an organization sitting oh. on the move. When the culture you describe and you kind of you paint a picture of, um, it sounds like it's a pretty rewarding experience to be part of the Lexmark team, but, but how can folks learn more uh, and connect with you, Tanya? Sure. So I would, uh, I would give you my LinkedIn profile. I mean, my LinkedIn address, we could, we could certainly share that. Lexmark.com also has a, um, a social media aspect of it as well that we can, we can make sure that, that you get. So I think those are probably the primary uh, um, avenues would be something on LinkedIn and something in, from a Lexmark uh, social media campaign. Wonderful. And we're going to make it really easy for folks at one click that we're all after. We'll lead, uh, load that up in the show notes of the episode so that you can connect and learn a lot more about what's going on over in the world so, of Lexmark. Tanya, you're going to add? So, yeah. You, you talked about Wide Awake Wilson. You're, what part of South Carolina are you from? I am are you uh, from Aiken. Aiken. Yeah. How'd you know that? You said that. So you're from Refrigerator Perry's oh. hometown. That's right. In fact, I'm, I'm a big Clemson <laughs> fan. Uh, and so you had Fridge, right. Okay. right? And then you had Michael Dean Perry, his younger brother, who went by the, the nickname Icebox. He was just a little bit smaller. And his little brother had a great <laughs> career with the Cleveland Browns, which some folks may not remember. Um, I don't remember him. But we still, okay. yeah, we still pass by his house uh, where he grew up and his home that he built when he, he made it big with the Bears uh, there in Aiken okay. County. So, yeah. Um, okay. so we're gonna have to compare. It sounds like, you know, every once in a while, Tanya, we've got a show here, uh, supply chain nerds talk sports and, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's supply chain's not allowed. It's kind of like maybe your chatted up sessions. It's all awesome. about all that's going on in, in sports because we need, as you know, we need to take close email for a second, take a deep breath and enjoy each other's company. Talk about things that aren't work related to protect that, you know, that, that psyche. 
Uh, so then we can go yeah. back the next day and make it happen. So Tanya Jackson, I couldn't imagine. Uh, it's gotta be cool to work with you, work for you. Thanks so much for carving some time out with us here today. Uh, I really appreciate your time here today, Tanya. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Had a, had a good time. Well, we'll have to have you back. We've been chatting with Tanya Jackson, Senior Vice President and Chief Product Delivery Officer with Lexmark. We'll talk with you again very soon, Tanya. Thank you. You bet. Okay, so folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation, this wide-ranging, frank, uh, authentic, passionate conversation we had here with Tanya Jackson. There's lots of whether you're um, breaking into the industry, whether you're uh, leading people, um, first-time manager or a senior manager, senior leader even. You, there's so much to learn here from uh, Tanya Jackson's story and journey. If you like conversations like this, be sure to find and subscribe to Supply Chain Now wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, folks, whatever you do, uh, do like this. Be, be like Tanya. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.